We are in lesson 47 of the study of Romans, and this lesson brings us to the, close to the end of chapter 14. Chapter 14 has taken a little longer than 13 because of the years of misinterpretation. But what we found thus far is the chapter is really about judging your brother on matters of opinion. At least that's what the text says. In the church, for the most part, we've taken this passage to be speaking of the commands of God, particularly the Sabbath and the dietary laws. Sadly for the church, for whatever reason, it has failed to distinguish between the laws of God and traditions of men in the Gospels and the apostolic writings. When there's an argument in Scripture over what is termed the law, it's not, really, it's not about the command of God. There's, there's no one going to argue about a command of God. It is what it is, so to speak. They're not going to argue as to whether it's valid or not because it can't be done away with. The arguments occur over the opinions of the rabbis regarding one of the laws of God. You have to understand that when they said law, in their mind, there was no difference between the Torah command itself and how it was kept. As an example from today, there was no difference in see the kid in its mother's milk and eating a turkey sandwich with cheese. Both are termed the law. Only one of them is the law. The other is a tradition. But they're treated with equal respect. Well, that's what's happened here. The church has looked at this as Paul's commentary on the laws of God. And he's not speaking about the laws of God. He's speaking of the opinions of men. And sadly, we would have known that if we would have just taken the first verse to heart. Because he says, he's talking about the opinions of men. We all have opinions, particularly about the laws of God, the scriptures. Some of them are our own. Some of them we learn from others. Many of you have been going to church for years, and every week you've heard a sermon, and I hate to burst your bubble, but what you heard in the sermon was not the gospel. Sermons, for the most part, are pastor or a rabbi's opinion on scripture. Sometimes they're very good. Sometimes not so much. And they're really quite far from the truth. But Paul is saying, as long as your opinion doesn't violate the Torah, doesn't violate the truths of God, one of the commands of God, then I shouldn't pass judgment on your opinion. I should not treat you with contempt. But I should actually prefer you. I should, out of love, prefer you. The problem they're having here in Rome is they're having over their opinions on food and fast days in chapter 14. That's what it's about. Particularly food, which may or may not have been offered to an idol. Apparently, there are some who are bringing food into the community meals that may be suspect as having been sacrificed to an idol, from an animal offered to an idol. And some are not eating that meat because of that. They're eating only vegetables. They made a judgment about the person and the meat that they brought to the community meal and they're not eating because there might be some possibility that that shoulder of lamb or whatever was offered to an idol. The other side of the coin is there are those who brought the meat 
And they're condemning the ones who do not eat that meat. Even though there's no Torah command that says you have to eat meat. At least I've never read one. The other thing Paul mentions are fast days. And there were many Jewish fast days at this time. None of which were commanded, except for Yom Kippur. None of these fast days were commanded by the Torah, but they were traditional fast days instituted by the rabbis. And some people were not fasting on those days. Well, Paul doesn't say, Paul says, do not judge one another over these things. These matters of personal preference or opinion. If you found this chapter over the years particularly troubling or confusing in the past, I suggest you get the sermons for the last few weeks. But today we pick up with the real topic in verse 13. The real topic in 13 and 14. It's there it says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who knows the Lord Yeshua, it's going to continue. And I want you to note before we continue that Paul says, as one who is in the Lord Yeshua. In other words, he's speaking as one who would be in a complete agreement with Yeshua. One who is in Yeshua, one who is speaking in his kingdom. The same thing that Yeshua taught. He's also called himself an apostle. You know, an apostle means, simply means sent one. And apostles weren't exclusive to the believers. It's not the first time even Paul has been an apostle. Remember, he was sent out by the high priest to deal with the followers of Messiah. He was a sent one in the past. He was sent, and get, when, a, when an apostle was sent out, he was given a particular message to, to relate to the diaspora. And he would deliver that message exactly as it was given him. He wouldn't go out with another message. He delivered exactly as it was given to him. So Paul is teaching exactly what Yeshua would teach. And we read that last week that Yeshua said, Not one jot or tittle shall by any means pass from the Torah until everything is accomplished. And so we know that Paul is not going to abolish any command of the Torah. Otherwise, he couldn't call himself an apostle. So let's read on in chapter four, or 14 and verse 14. As one who is in the Lord Yeshua, I am fully convinced that nothing is unclean in and of itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. Now he says as one who is in Messiah Yeshua, I'm fully convinced. In other words, hey, here's Paul's opinion. He's in the Lord Yeshua and now he's going to give you his opinion. And when he says nothing, we must assume for the sake of continuity that he's speaking of food. The word in the Greek there is a much broader term than just food. It means literally nothing. I put it up here for you. The word up here, it means none, nobody, nothing. So while it says nothing as all-encompassing, we know that he's speaking of food. And last week we spoke of the verse where Paul says, no food is unclean. And when he says food, he's not speaking of things which aren't food to him. 
He's not speaking of pork because that would not be food to him. He's never eaten pork in his life. That's not food. So why would he say, I'm fully convinced that nothing is unclean in and of itself, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. It sounds like, hey, it's okay as long as you think it's okay, right? It's a matter of what's up here in your head, right? Isn't that what it makes it sound like? And that's the way it's been taken over the years. Well, first he means that food that God gave. Nothing is unclean in and of itself of the food that God gave. God said lamb was food, and there's no opinion of any man that can change that. Lamb will always be food. However, if there's one who suspects the lamb might have been offered in a pagan temple and deems it unclean because it was offered to an idol, if that's his judgment on the matter, then as a matter of conscience for him, it is unclean. And by saying that, he's also saying that we should not judge him for that. However, if I walk into your house and you had a lamb that was offered to an idol and said nothing, and I ate of the meat, was unaware that it was offered to an idol, but I ate it as just a piece of, hey, this is tasty lamb. You see, for me, it's not unclean. My conscience is not going to suffer because I didn't know. So the problem here is some meat that people are bringing into the community is suspect, and that meat is a stumbling block to some of the brothers. And he says it's actually going to destroy them. Destroy some of the brothers. How could that be? Because if you look up this word destroy, it's a strong word. It means devote or give over to eternal misery. Perish. Lost. Ruined. Destroyed. How could food or fast days do that? Well, there are a couple of possibilities. First, and uh, for me, least likely of what Paul is speaking of here, is remember that Rome is not a secular state as some people think of Rome. Nor did they allow the worship of other gods. They did not accept atheism. It was punishable by death. You have to worship, you had to worship the pantheon of Roman gods or you were put to death. However, the Jewish people, because of the way they came under Roman rule, had an exception. During the reign of Julius Caesar, they were granted freedom of worship in the city of Rome and throughout the empire. They didn't have to worship the gods of the pantheon. They didn't have to declare Caesar as a god. They were given this exemption. And to the best of my knowledge, from all I've ever read, they were the only ones with such an exemption. So if you were a Roman and you went to a Jewish synagogue to worship, you fell under the exemption, right? You were exempt. However, if you left that synagogue and did not worship the Roman gods, you had a problem. Enter the Roman believers. If they left the synagogue to begin what we call a church, they would fall outside of the exclusion. And guess what? They did exactly that. Remember, we just read the early church fathers taught about separation from the Jews. That's why so many Christians found their way into the Roman arenas. 
They were no longer of the Jewish faith, and so they were looked at as atheists or pagans. They were looked at suspiciously. So it's possible that's what Paul meant, but I don't think so. That's what happened, but I don't think that's exactly what he meant. Because if, if we look at the rest of the chapter, something else begins to make sense. If we combine the word stumbling block, I think we're going to see that we come up with something different. The word stumbling block that's used in this passage means exactly that. It means an obstacle in the way which if one strikes his foot against it, he stumbles or falls. Now, I put the occurrences up here if you want to write them down. Because if you take time to look at the other instances of the use of this word, you're going to find that in the other instances, the word is used of stumbling over the good news of Messiah Yeshua. So there's no reason to think that Paul has anything else in mind here. Particularly when it's what, uh, from what he just told us in chapter 9, in verse 31, he says, But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness, wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Notice with the earlier use of the word in chapter 9, he speaks of missing the Messiah. That's the stumbling. Not believing in Messiah. So when he says, do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Messiah died, I take that to mean destroyed as missing the Messiah. And judged eternally. So to my way of thinking, again, destroyed when combined with stumbling, can only mean that there are some here, something here that's causing some to miss the Messiah completely and is making them subject to perish. This thing has to do with food. And Paul will say of these people causing this problem in chapter 16, he says this, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving the Lord Yeshua, but their own appetites. By smooth and flattery, smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of the naive. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I'm fully, so I'm full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. And so there's, what is it about food that would cause some to miss the Messiah completely? Well, we covered it before in earlier lessons. The Gentiles were forbidden by Torah and by the decision of the apostles in in Acts chapter 15, confirmed by that, to eat meat offered to idols. That's the first point. Point two is the reason for that was if if they were eating meat offered to idols, it wouldn't show that they had left that worship. It might, someone might assume that they were, no, they were still worshiping idols. The third point is the Jewish people were waiting for Messiah to come and turn the nations from idol worship to the worship of the God of Israel. Spoken of in Isaiah and Zechariah and other prophets as well. So this, like no other sign, would be the sign that the days of Messiah were here. If the Jewish people who Paul longed to see turn to the Messiah saw Gentiles turning away from idol worship, 
because of Yeshua, they would begin to accept Yeshua must be the Messiah. And point four, if they didn't see Gentiles turning to the worship of the one God and only the one God and away from idols, if they continued to violate Torah by eating meat offered to idols, there'd be no reason for them to think that these folks were turning to God because of Messiah Yeshua. And there then it would begin to question if Yeshua was the Messiah because he wasn't fulfilling the prophecies. So they would thereby be destroyed by eating by the eating of these non-Jews in Rome. That's the short of it. And if you want the long of it, get some of the earlier lessons. Get the CDs because we've covered it earlier. This would all cause a separation of the Jewish people who had not yet accepted Yeshua and the followers of Yeshua. And guess what? It did. Ironically, the separation from the Jews that the early church fathers like Ignatius and others brought about, and the wave of anti-Semitism that it brought about served to remove the Roman followers of Yeshua from the exemption of the Jews to worship, not to worship the Roman gods and brought about a suspicion of the Christians and a persecution and death of many Christians. Or at least that's how history would appear. So the point is, There are non-Jews bringing food to the community meals that are causing Jewish people who are on the fence deciding if Yeshua is the Messiah to stumble over what they're eating. In fact, destroying them by what they eat. And Paul goes on to say in verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit, Because anyone who serves Messiah in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. So Paul says, the kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating. And notice he adds drinking, which he'll later elaborate on in verse 21 when he says, meat and wine, the drinking of wine. The wine of a non-Jew was forbidden by the rabbis. If the bottle had not been opened, they could drink. But if the bottle had been opened, it was forbidden to drink because of the possibility that the first of that bottle had been poured out as a wine libation to a household god or to some idol. And that's what Paul is getting at here. Whether you were the one who felt free to eat meat and drink the wine because you felt it was not offered to an idol, or if you were unsure if the wine had been used as a wine libation and the meat had come from a temple idol, do not judge one another. Because the kingdom of God is about living in harmony with God and with his people. Paul covered the kingdom of God. He's already covered what that is. What he says, it's not a matter of eating and drinking. Well, he's covered what it is a matter of. The first eight chapters he covered it. Amen? And since then, he's been speaking about missing the kingdom of God. What did he tell us in chapter 5? When we were still powerless, Messiah died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Messiah died for us. 
God's faithfulness was such that while we were still sinners and powerless to help ourselves, he demonstrated his love for us and his faithfulness not to let us out of his hand. The kingdom of God is a matter of we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And yet God in his love and his faithfulness sent Yeshua to die. And Yeshua in his love and faithfulness did what the Father commanded him to do. Came and died for us. Well then who are we to judge our brother for his opinions on eating food or drinking? Listen, God saved me while I was a sinner, a drunkard, an adulterer, a thief, and I could go on. And yet he loved me, and when I cried out, he healed me and raised me up. The sin I was in was the worst of the worst. And yet he reached down and saved me. That's what the kingdom of heaven is made up of. That's what it's about, the love, the joy, and the peace of God. So let me ask you this. After all of that, And after all that he forgave me for, do you think that he's going to throw me away for not being careful about food? Because I am careful about food, but do you think he'd throw me away if I wasn't careful about food? Do you think that if I went to Little Jerusalem Restaurant over here on Nicollet and failed to ask if the meat was halal or not, for those of you who may not know what halal meat is, it's meat that's slaughtered in the traditional Muslim tradition, asking for the blessing of Allah on it. So you might call it sacrifice to an idol. At least a false god. So after all of that that he forgave me for, do you suppose if I ate halal meat by mistake that God is going to condemn me for that? Come on. Well then, that's what Paul is saying here. If God does, does not condemn why do you condemn your brother for his opinion on the meat and the wine that he drinks the kingdom about god is about gathering together rejoicing over one another over what god has done in our lives rejoicing over the love he showers upon us i stand here some days i love to stand up here during the praise and worship service and look out over the congregation and see the love and the joy and the peace that you have as you worship the Holy One of Israel. The peace He brings into your life that's so apparent during the praise service. I can tell you that the furthest thing from my mind is what you or what even what I ate last night. <laughs> right? I'm quite certain I can say you this with reasonable assurance that as you stand there and thank God for all he's done and give glory to Yeshua for all he has done, God is not thinking about what you ate last night either. Right? And if God isn't concerned and the person is not concerned, why are you concerned? Relish in the love and the joy that your brother has in the Lord and be certain that God in just the right time, will lead him into righteous living if there's some area of his life that's, that's not. Right? Didn't he take a little time with you? Well, give your brother a little time. Let me tell you, God does not need you to condemn your brother. The kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating and drinking. Paul told us this in chapter 8. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Messiah Yeshua our Lord. Paul's opinion is that nothing can separate us from God. So why do you separate yourself from one who loves God over your stinky opinion? Right? Your opinion's no better than his. Till God confirms something. We are not failures or losers, but we're all conquerors through Messiah Yeshua. So why do we condemn our brother for his opinion? The commands of God... If someone is in sin, breaking the commands of God, we should absolutely correct him. But if someone's opinion is slightly different than yours as how to walk out those commands, who are you to judge? Even if he's not keeping one of the lesser commands, who are you to judge? Right? And by that I mean that... um, Something that wouldn't constitute a death penalty in the Torah. One of the lesser things. You should be... Wasn't God patient with you with these things? Right? How many of you on the day you met Yeshua started eating clean and unclean? Worshipping 100% correct? (laughs) Maybe some of you Jewish people were doing that, but... You get what I mean. If someone comes to me and says, you know, God has done away with the clean and unclean laws. So here, have a ham sandwich. You know what he's going to get? He's going to get a defensive Torah from me. As per the words of the master, you can't... No part of the Torah can be abolished. However, if someone comes to me and says, Stan, you know, I know God says uh, has these laws distinguishes between the unclean and unclean. It's right here in the Torah. I can read it. It's there. And I know that he gave these commands to the Jewish people. However, I'm kind of struggling with, are these dietary laws for the Gentiles? You know what kind of an answer he's going to give from me then? Well, I can see that God is working in your life on keeping the commands. He's working on your heart. And what is valid for you to be keeping and what you don't have to keep. That's why you're troubled. You're debating within yourself because God has put the debate there. So what I suggest you do is go into your prayer closet and prayerfully read the passages on the dietary laws. Because I know that God will put the correct answer in your heart. A person doesn't need my opinion to cloud God's response. I got the correct response from God this way. And I have faith that God can give him the correct response as well. And let me say this. If he gets it from God and not from me, it will build his faith. That wouldn't have happened if he just listened to me. He could write that off. Next pastor that came around, right? But if God says it, nobody's going to take it away from him, right? Chapter 8, verse 1 says this, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua, because through Messiah Yeshua, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, 
in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful men in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. You see, if God does not condemn for opinion, and there's no condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua, and you're living according to the Spirit, how is it then that you condemn your brother for his opinion? The answer is, if you're walking about condemning people for their opinions, you're not walking in the Spirit. You're walking in the flesh. And let me say again, I'm speaking about opinions here, not the firm commands of God. The firm commands of God are what they are. Thou shalt not, there's no debate, right? If you're not keeping the Sabbath, thou shalt keep the Sabbath holy. You're in sin. It's not a matter of opinion. It's just what is what it is. Paul, if nothing else, is consistent. Listen to what he told the Galatians. He tells them the same thing. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Messiah Yeshua have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and and envying each other. If I say the fruit of the Spirit in speaking of your behavior, I say the kingdom of heaven is a matter of love and joy, I'm saying the same thing. I could easily say the kingdom of heaven is a matter of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, just as easily as I could say the fruit of the Spirit. If we're led of the Spirit, we should not get our feathers ruffled over matters of opinion. Matters of opinion should not rob us of our joy and our peace, nor should they lead us to rob anyone else of their joy and their peace. We should rise above that. Amen? If you do judge someone for his opinion or someone for one of your opinions, you better be absolutely sure that your opinions are correct and true because Yeshua said this in Matthew chapter 7, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. In the measure you use, it will be used to you. If you judge for matters of opinion, then you're going to be judged for your opinions as well. And if you separate from your brother for your opinions, someone else might separate himself from you. How do you like that? See, Paul is really being kind of kind in this letter to the Roman. But the truth of the matter is, if you judge and condemn the opinions of another, then your judgments and your opinions will certainly come under judgment. So next week, we're going to finish chapter 14. And we'll get into chapter 15, which will be the last chapter we're going to discuss in Romans because chapter 16, is we've already covered the important parts and the rest of it is a lot of greetings. So we'll finish up with chapter 15.